True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Domingo Santana, ooh, I wanna add ya Tanaka's Fakakta, a jag like Michael Waka Polanco and Franco, Kokomo Friday. What a wild opening day it was. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers. Got a lot of action to catch you up on today. It was a very inconsistent day of aces on the mound. We had some pretty awesome hitting performances. I mean, who saw a slugfest coming in uh, Kansas City? The Royals going up against the Texas Rangers there. Pretty sure that we suggested someone as a... uh, a picture to stream in that game. What's going on, fellas? How are you guys doing? One day of fantasy in the books. Doing great. Doing great. I mean, not everything went the way I wanted it to, including Brad Keller's start. But, uh, you know, some things went well, too. And obviously, it was great having baseball. It was great tweeting about baseball all day. It's a lot of fun. Oh, Lots of fun. We'll get to you, Chris, because uh, day one, it's victory lap season, baby. But before we get to it, Get there. I mean, let's let's just not forget that I believe John Carlos Stanton hit it. Did he hit two home runs last opening day, or, or just one? So you're really good uh, on opening so. day, basically, Chris. I mean, you, yeah, I'm great. I, I'm. I'll, nobody will ever top Heath uh, calling for Ian Happ to hit a home run like five seconds. Or was that you, Scott? Uh, that was me. Thank you. It was the first pitch <laughs> of the entire season. I yes. remember that. That was in Marlins uh, okay, Park. Yeah, it was right? Scott calling. Yes, and then and then Ian the Happ next hitting year, a home run. and then the next year on opening day, I called Luke Voigt hitting a home run. It wasn't the first at bat of the season, but I called it. Well, I tried to do that today with Joey Votto. Yeah. It didn't work out. <laughs> yeah, well, I think he hit an infield pop up. I think he hit two today. He did. He, he hit a home run out of a silo. It, it's the end times. All right, enough of the chit-chat. Let's jump right in with our, oh my goodness gracious, player of the day. Oh my goodness gracious. Goodness gracious. And if you weren't around for this last year, it could be an awesome performance. It can be a terrible performance, but it's just something that made you say, oh my goodness gracious. So so why don't you get us started, Scott, with uh, your player of the day? Well... There was one pitching duel on a day full of aces, and that pitching duel was in the the great state of Florida, where I live, uh, which made it the one game I couldn't watch on TV, pretty sure. But anyway, <laughs> um, Tyler Glass now 
especially was the one who caught my attention there. Not just because he threw six one-hit innings, but because he introduced his new slider-cutter hybrid in a very loud way. He didn't just, you know, sprinkle it in with his usual fastball curveball mix. He threw it um a ton. A ton. He threw it he threw it 34% of the time. 34% of the time it was his best swing and miss pitch on the day. It looked incredible. And I mean if if he has another pitch, you know, he he already is a this elite bat misser with an eight, a potential ace outcome. If he has a, another great breaking ball to go with the one he already had, I mean, that's just. Uh, you know, you know it's funny, though. Go. It was like, oh, well, Tyler Glass now is great, but he's only a two-pitch pitcher. Oh, now he's got this third pitch. He was kind of only a two-pitch pitcher today, which was kind of funny. <laughs> he, uh, he threw 87% of his pitches were fastballs and sliders. He only threw the curveball nine times. But, yeah, I was watching this game. He looked absolutely unhittable. He looked, the Marlins looked like they had about as good a chance of getting a hit off Tyler Glass now as he did while he was batting, and he didn't swing once in 10 pitches. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like Stalling Marte, I, I was looking at the box score. I wasn't watching that game, but he had a golden sombrero, and, and Marte is hes a pretty good hitter, you know? He's a pretty good contact hitter, yeah, so he, whenever yeah. you can make him look uh, that foolish, I think... You're doing something right. But uh, yeah, I mean, look, part of the reason we were worried about Tyler Glass now was his workload and how they were going to use him. He was incredibly efficient. He didn't walk anybody on opening day against the Marlins here. Only allowed one hit, six strikeouts, uh, with six shutout innings for Tyler Glass now in this start. And uh, 77 pitches. So he was so efficient. they, they They were careful with him. Yeah, it's one of those situations where like, if he had 80 pitches through five innings, maybe they let him go the sixth inning. But since he already made it through six innings and he hadn't quite reached 80 pitches, like, well, there's no reason to run him out for the seventh on opening day, you know? Yeah. If he just stays healthy, I mean, that's one of the biggest keys for, for Glass now. If he could stay healthy and keep those walks down, you don't want to overreact too much, but this slider looks like a legit pitch. And, and just, I mean, he used a curveball 12% of the time. Just having three pitches that he can use more than 10% of the time, I, I think is... Um, you yeah. know, the arrows pointing up for Tyler Glass now. His velocity, speaking of being up, that was also up a tick on Thursday. 97.9 miles per hour, Tyler Glass now averaged in this start. Chris, oh my goodness gracious, player of the day or night. Why don't we just go to the other side of that game and, oh, let's and do it. talk about Sandy Alcantara because he was just about as good as Tyler Glass now. Uh, six innings, seven strikeouts, two walks, two hits allowed. Uh, 16 swinging strikes on 83 pitches uh, with an 86.5 mile per hour average exit velocity allowed. He was really, really good. One of the best starts I've ever seen from Sandy Alcantara. Um, And, you know, the Rays are a fine offense. I don't think they're a a particularly good or bad one. So uh, very encouraging stuff. 16 swinging strikes on 83 pitches. That That was more than he had in any of his starts last year. The yeah, I think it's like first. the fourth most he's ever had in a start. And um, six of them came on the changeup, which is not yeah. a p- pitch he has featured much. And I will a pitch, say a pitch I he made has that, featured much. <laughs> you know, I made the I made the joke about Tyler Glass now not swinging. He did strike out twice, uh, but he didn't swing the bat 
in 10 pitches, which apparently they just told him, do not swing. You're not allowed to swing. Um, <laughs> you know, so he technically had 16 swinging strikes on like 73 real pitches. So hmm. that's even better. Yeah. Because uh, he had no chance of getting a swinging strike against glass now. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> Again, that is Sandy Alcantara with the Miami Marlins. Six shutout, seven strikeouts to just two walks, like 16 whiffs on 83 pitches. And it, it was interesting because we were obviously touting him in spring and I wanted to see if these whiffs would carry over because, you know, he's facing some lesser competition in the spring and not that the Tampa Bay Rays lineup is amazing or anything, but uh, to see those whiffs carry over, I thought that was very encouraging for Sandy Alcantara and also his slider velocity. He averaged 89.4 miles per hour on the pitch in this start. Last year, that was 87.3. Now I want to pay attention to some velocity stuff early in the season because there could be some wonky things going on in stadiums, some hot guns, whatever, some people <laughs> pitching in, in cold places, cold venues, and their velocity being down. So we'll pay attention to the start over start, but if this is something that remains consistent for Sandy Alcantara, an 89-mile-per-hour slider, yeah, that's that's definitely going to play uh, this season. Yeah. I, I, we're going to just go three for three with pitchers here, and you guys obviously highlighted, I would say, the two best pitchers of the day. Well, Lucas Gilito is still pitching while we're recording right yeah, now. Yeah, he might and, be the best pitcher of the day. Yeah. Or he might allow five runs next inning. So he might. So uh, we'll catch you up on that as the night goes along here. You're probably listening uh, in the morning, afternoon, sometime this weekend. But uh, yeah, we are recording on Thursday night. <laughs> but he might not get through six. Yeah, he gets 67 pitches right now. We I'm call it. G Lodo doesn't get a quality start. We shall see. Uh, Luis Castillo. Obviously, many people freaking out, myself included. And he was at home in Great American Ballpark against the Cardinals. The final line, three and a third, eight hits, 10 runs. Eight of those were earned. Two walks, zero strikeouts. If you play on CBS Sports in a points league, he gives you negative 14 fantasy points. That is Luis Castillo, someone you might have even drafted in the second round, more likely third round to be either your first starting pitcher or your second starting pitcher if you were aggressive. And his fastball velocity was down 2.6 miles per hour in this start compared to where it was last year. Now, I will point out that he had starts in years past in April, both in 2018 and in 2019, where his fastball velocity did average below 95 miles per hour. So this is not something that is completely uncommon for Luis Castillo early in the season when he's pitching in less than ideal weather conditions. It was very cold in Cincinnati. I think it was 35, 37 degrees. Uh, actually, yeah. Yeah. Castillo's, no agent, Castillo's agent, Rafa Nieves, responded to my tweet today to point out that uh, Castillo has never pitched in a game below 50 degrees. So uh, I think that mm. definitely contributed here. And you know what else contributed? His defense. His defense was dreadful. And I think this might be something that hampers Reds pitchers all season long, unless they make yeah. some kind of change, because Eugenio Suarez committed two errors in the first two innings of the game, and there was another double play that should have been turned, and that's why some of these runs were unearned, but the home run that Carlson hit in the first inning off of Castillo should have never happened. They should have been out of that inning so, already, so I don't want to just make up a bunch of excuses for Luis Castillo, but if anybody in your league is freaking out, please, please, just send buy low trade offers and try to acquire him because that's what I would yeah, I think. The, I think the results are less interesting and, and less relevant than the fact that he was throwing so low. And I don't think the fact that he was, his velocity was so low really matters all that much. Um, frankly, 
and I wrote this for tomorrow's waiver wire column. I, I don't think really anything on opening day matters. Really, it counts. Uh, you know, that, that's one game of 162, but very little that we saw today matters. And right now, we can't say that Luis Castillo's velocity being down two and a half to three miles an hour matters. If he goes out in his next start and it's down three miles per hour, then you start to look at it and then you start to say, well, maybe this is a thing. But, um, you know, it's tough with velocity because it's it's the kind of thing that there's not noise to velocity the way there is to like batting average or on base percentage or BABIP. You know, it's a direct measure of a thing the pitcher's doing, but that thing is not always static velocity fluctuates from start to start for every pitcher. So, um, you know, we'll see. We'll see what it, what it looks like when the weather warms up. Uh, Shane Bieber had a similar Well, that's uh, what I was that's what drop. I point out is there were two games that I know of where the, the temperature was in the 30s where there was snow falling off and on. One of them was this game uh, where, where Castillo was awful. Jack Flaherty also wasn't very good. And Jack Flaherty's velocity, velocity was down was about two miles per hour. Both of the pitchers in that other game, Cleveland, Detroit, Bieber, who you mentioned, Chris, and, and Matthew Boyd, their velocity was down about two miles per hour each. So, like, it's it, that's a pretty clear correlation, I yeah. would think. Uh, and it totally makes sense. Like, I, I can't. I, I don't I don't even imagine I, I don't even understand how people move athletically in freezing temperatures, much less perform like uh, you know world class uh, athletes. You know your muscles are stiff, everything feels so heavy and slow. Like I don't I don't get it. I don't get how they're able to perform at all. They're just losing a <laughs> yeah. couple miles per hour on their fastball. I, I think that's uh, I think that's a win. One thing we saw for, from Bieber that you know. Let's let's just pretend as if the velocities we saw from Shane Bieber and, and Lucas Gili or uh, sorry Jack Flaherty and Luis Castillo were real. I think the where Luis Castillo would be more concerning than the other two guys is that he really doesn't have like Shane Bieber threw like I think ten of his first thirteen pitches were were fastballs or something, and then I think it was twenty five of the next eighty two were fastballs. He just started throwing basically nothing but sliders and, and curveballs. He had 17 swinging strikes on the two of them, and he had 12 strikeouts in the game. Luis Castillo doesn't really have that luxury. Uh, he's got that excellent changeup. He's got a decent slider, but he doesn't have like it's hard to imagine Luis Castillo going out and throwing like you know 25% fastballs in the start. No, that's a fit. Yeah, that's a fair point. He's probably going to be around 50%, and then you know use the other two breaking pitches between 20 and 25%. Um, but when everything's working, I mean, I, I would still say Luis Castillo is one of the 15, 12 best pitchers, uh, starting pitchers yeah. in baseball. So if anyone in your league is freaking out about Luis Castillo, please, please send some offers. I would like to point out, Chris, I know you don't. All right. Nothing matters on opening day. But I mean, come on. Let's have a little bit of fun, right? FBT favorites were on fire on opening day. I've got to point it, it was out. It's a good day. Cabrian Hayes, home run. Austin Meadows, Go ahead, home run. Nick Cassianos, three hits and a home run. But hot damn, Chris, mm-hmm. you were uh, it was it was Chris Towers' day. It, it wasn't just opening day; it was Chris Towers' day. You had a 
Sweet and savory alert. Uh, no, people don't like the sweet and savory. A sweet and savory is a home run and a steal like in the a, same I like a sweet and savory. If someone wants to no. change it. Little, you go to the movie theater, you get popcorn, you exactly, throw a little bunch man. of crunch on top of it. Amazing. It's, dude, goobers are one of my favorite snacks. Chocolate covered pretzels. Salt and chocolate? So Amazing. good, man. Like sweet and whatever. Sweet and savory is for a home <laughs> run and a stolen base. If you don't like it, email us. Let us know what you think it should be. Um, Byron Buxton had the first one of the season. He was great. Uh, and also Cattell Marte, dude. What? Four for five with a home run, a double, two singles, and two batted balls over 104 miles per hour off the bat. And that came against you, Darvish. So anything that you would like to add on your uh, your guys, Cattell Marte and Byron Buxton, Chris? Just, you're welcome. You know, <laughs> I think that's all. You know, it's, it's only one day. Of course. Um, you know, Cattell Marte won't, probably won't hit 800 this season uh eh, maybe but you know byron buxton you know he might go 30 30 so good start so far and i thought it's one day what was most interesting to me was that byron buxton had two walks on <laughs> opening day 2020 walk total he had two walks in 39 games last season so it's just yeah just a very crazy game for byron buxton one for three a just home, stay healthy a home run 456 foot home run by the way uh two rbi two walks and of course two strikeouts for byron buxton on opening day before we get to the news and notes the final four is on saturday and you may be wondering how do i actually watch these games well just go over to the cbs sports app on your connected tv or phone from there you'll see every tournament game available to watch think of it like a gateway to all the action so download the cbs sports app now so you never miss a minute of this ncaa tournament so before we even went live with games we had all this reliever information coming out and i'm scrambling checking all my lineups i have 15 teams trying to get trevor rosenthal out of all of them because trevor rosenthal landed on the il with shoulder inflammation so scott what are you thinking here i know Earlier, they were leaning towards Diekman, but they still have Sergio Romo there. Is it a mix and match kind of thing? Which one do you like more? What are you thinking? Uh, well, I'm, I'm thinking Diekman for now. Um, it doesn't sound like a serious issue. I mean, you don't like anything going on with the shoulder, but this sounds like more of a let's make sure he's totally right before run, for, before putting him out there situation. So it's possible they just kind of you know, go go the committee route until until Trevor Rosenthal gets back. But if I'm putting it in a bid for one person, it's Jake Diekman. I'm just not I'm not putting in a huge bid for him. There are other closers you'd rather put in a bid for. For sure. Yeah. If uh if Hector Neris or Mark Melanson are available, they're still rostered in, in less than fifty percent of CBS leagues. So those are I would say priority number one and two if you if you need closers. There's a real priority number one. Well, who is it? Alex Reyes. Alex Reyes, my dude. What a what a great <laughs> bit of news we found out before opening day, just minutes before first pitch, that the Cardinals are planning on using Alex Reyes as the closer. Now, and he, you know, they used him as a closer ish tonight. He pitched. Now, I, I, he pitched I, in the it ninth. It seemed inning. like people were jumping to the conclusion that. Oh, this means he's the closer now. When Mike Schild said, you know, don't be surprised if you see him in some late game situations. Like that, that to me, that doesn't mean he's the closer. And if they're sticking to their plan of we need to, we want to get him to a hundred innings this year, like that's that's gonna be hard to do if he's your a true closer. Um 
So I don't know. This is, Mike Schultz is also the one who sprang a Kwang Hyun Kim is the closer on us opening day last year. And, you know, obviously that didn't last very long. Uh, so I still think they want Jordan Hicks in. They're just not ready to uh, to turn the role over to him yet. So I'm not saying Reyes won't get any saves. I, it, maybe it'll be like a Josh Hader pre before Josh Hader became a full-time closer situation where he gets yeah, I mean, double-digit saves. The way that uh, St. Louis Post-Dispatch reporter Derek Gold put it was, Cardinals will open the season with Alex Reyes as closer, even if they don't call him closer. Um, and, you know, Derek Gold, I, I, kind of the gold standard. <laughs> Cardinals. I mean, that's that's obviously interpretation, though. It is. Uh, yeah. it's fine. No, He's I'm to choosing to believe. We sit here and interpret things all the time. I'm choosing to believe okay. that Alex Reyes will get every single save for the St. Louis Cardinals. <laughs> that is... I mean, look, it's it's kind of like with Mark Melanson in San Diego. He got the save today. We think he's a pretty good pitcher, but right. But he has a track got, record as a closer. He's he's no, no, I'm, yeah, I know. I'm just saying when you've got two other really good guys, like two other guys in both bullpens, St. Louis and San Diego, who could be, you know, top five closers in baseball in Giovanni Gallegos and Jordan Hicks for the Cardinals and. Uh, Emilio Pagan and Drew Pomeranz for the Padres. Mm-hmm. You don't have a, a, a large margin for error, and so you know I think either one of those guys could be, you know, that proverbial and literal bad week away from not being mm-hmm. in that opportunity. It's not entirely clear to me that Reyes would be a good closer either, because like we complain about Karen Shack's control problems, the Reyes have been worse. Uh, the little bit he's pitched in the majors so far. So, I don't know. I'm not, like, if I was prioritizing closer candidates off the waiver wire, I think I'd go Melanson 1, Hector Neris 2, Reyes 3, Jake Diekman 4. I agree with that. I like that order. Uh, Scott, I mean, since Diekman and uh, Reyes are much more widely available than the other two names we mentioned, if you play in, say, a 12-team Roto League, Category League, or deeper, how much fab would you spend on each of Reyes or Jake Diekman? Fab percentage. Well, it depends how badly I need saves and whether $0 bids are allowed and whether it's weekly or daily. But, oh, you know, uh, if you, if it depends Just on a answer lot of the things, question, right? God. <laughs> Thanks uh, for saying I probably, it, Chris. I probably would max out for those two, Reyes and Diekman. I, I'd go under 10. I'd go under 10%. Fair enough. Uh, Josh Donaldson continues to skip leg day. He pulled up with a hamstring on opening day. And, I mean, we're waiting for more information, but between this and the calf stuff that he suffered, I would guess it's probably not looking good for Josh Donaldson. Luis Arias moves over to third base. He originally started the game in left field. He went two for five with a walk. He is 24% rostered. Chris, what is your interest level in Arise? Um, Not super high because he's... You know, probably just a one cat. He, he's a one category stud. He he is one of the best bats for batting average in baseball. The question will be, you know, if Donaldson does miss time, is Arias going to play every day? And more, you know, just as importantly, is he going to lead off every day? Because if he is, then you're probably looking at a guy who's a two category stud because he should score a lot of runs at the top of that lineup. If it's like batting lead off one day, then eight the next day or something like that. 
then it's a lot harder to get excited about because what you want from Arias is a ton of plate appearances so that he can really help your batting average because he's not going to strike out much um, and a lot of opportunities to score runs. I think he's as good a bet to hit 300 as anyone in baseball. Um, so if he's playing every day, that could be super valuable in a Roto League. I think he's you know pretty borderline in, in points, but you'll probably have room for him somewhere in your roster in a Roto League. Again, that is Luis Arise with the Minnesota Twins. Hunter Dozier is dealing with a right thumb contusion, but he could be back on Saturday for the Royals. And Nixon Zell, this is always the issue. He's constantly dealing with something, and he's banged up. He left on Thursday's game with a shoulder injury after a diving catch. The Reds are hopeful that he'll be back in the lineup at some point this weekend. So cross your fingers. In his case, he is a player. He, he has had shoulder surgery, right? That was what ended his 2019 season. Yes. I believe you're correct. Yes. Yep. So that's that's more concerning than if you know he had like sprained his ankle. Yeah, for sure. Again, Nick Senzel, please be all right. I mentioned earlier it was an inconsistent day for aces on the mound. We highlighted that with our oh my goodness gracious players. Of course, Glasnow and Alcantara were great, and Luis Castillo, not so much. So let's just run through uh, some pitching performances from the day, and you guys could give a quick thought so we can... Try to get through all these. Shane Bieber, we already mentioned he was at Detroit. It was in the snow. Velocity was down a little bit. Seems like it was certainly affected by the weather. Six innings pitched, three earned, 12 Ks, 22 whiffs. Scott, anything there with Bieber? <laughs> My timeline was flooded early on when he allowed three earned runs in two innings, and then he ended up having, you know, one of the best pitching performances of the day. Stinks that he got a loss, I guess. But yeah, he's going to be fine. Matthew Boyd. Cabrera, dead pat bounce back. That's my only takeaway. Say it again. Miguel Cabrera, dead cat bounce back season. Dude, I, I brought it up the other day. He was good last Let's do it. Let's was, do it. I want one last good Miguel Cabrera season. I mean, how awesome was that? Let's get him to 3,000 hits. The, like snow just falling from the sky. That was beautiful. And he just yeah, hits Have all you guys the- seen the video that the Tigers account <laughs> tweeted of like the super high def slow motion? Yeah, of him hitting the home run in the snow. It no, just in the snow. It looks like Beautiful. something out of the natural or something. Yeah, yeah they minutes. probably should have just like pushed that game back 15 minutes and it probably would have been a little better for Shane. <laughs> well, well, what was awkward about it is Miguel Cabrera, because it was a it was a line drive over the right field fence, a wall scraper, and Miguel Cabrera slid <laughs> into second base because he couldn't see that it went over the fence. <laughs> yeah, <in> the snow. <laughs> that was awesome, dude. Oh, man. Miguel Cabrera. Probably gonna get to, he's, he's probably going to get to 3,000 hits and 500 home runs this season. That's fun. I think he's, what, 12 away from 500? 12 homers away and 134. Three hits. I'll probably get to both. I hope so, man. Let's get one more season from Miguel Cabrera. Legend. Stick with the Tigers here. Matthew Boyd, 55% rostered on CBS, going up against Cleveland, five and two thirds, three hits, uh, shutout, no earned runs allowed, four walks, two Ks. The walk to strikeout ratio, very weird here, only seven whiffs. Chris, any interest here? The next start for Boyd comes against the Minnesota Twins. There are some interesting things going on here. Uh, his first pitch fastball rate was way down. He was throwing his change up, which has been a, a pitch he's been looking for. But uh, I'm I'm not that much more interested in in adding him than I was, you know, in drafts. And I was only kind of interested as a late round flyer. So, yeah, it's fine. 
Garrett Cole went up against the Blue Jays, five and a third, five hits, two earned, two walks, eight strikeouts, 13 whiffs on 97 pitches. Scott, anything to see here? Nope. Fair enough. Sandy Alcantara, we already talked about. Tyler Glass now, we already talked about. Kenta Maeda at the Brewers, four and a third, two runs allowed, one earned, five strikeouts, but 88 pitches. And I was watching this game. The Brewers really, really made him work. They put together some strong at-bats. Uh, Travis Shaw looked really, really good in this game. I think he had a 10 or 12 pitch at bat against Kent Maeda, uh, walked to load the bases at some point. So uh, it was it was an interesting start for Maeda. Uh, both the four seam and sinker velocity were up a tick. Anything here, Chris? No, I think he threw his slider more than he usually does. And, you know, that can sometimes be a pitch that's harder to throw for strikes. So maybe that was part of it. But no, it's he wasn't bad. Brandon Woodruff on the other side, four innings, six hits, three earned, two walks, five strikeouts. Uh, the fastball and sinker were also both up a tick. All right, so same game. You know what that means, Scott? We might have a hot gun in Milwaukee. <laughs> <laughs> you know they don't use guns anymore, right? <laughs> Whatever, man. A, a, a hot Hawkeye cam. Is that, does that work, Chris? Uh, yeah, he, he was all right looking. <laughs> yeah. Do you guys have anything uh, on Brandon Woodruff? I don't really see any cause for alarm with Woodruff. I understand the result wasn't great, but, you know. Fastball velocity was up. His spin rate was still up from last season for the most part. So, no, I see no reason to be concerned. Kyle Hendricks against the Pirates. What the? What happened here? Three innings pitched, four hits, three earned, three walks. You're supposed to be a control artist. What the heck, Kyle Hendricks? He did have four strikeouts. Velocity was down a little bit. I think it was cold in Chicago as well. I didn't see the exact uh, temperature there. Chris, any cause for concern? I mean, you're supposed to dominate the Pirates, aren't you? I think he gave up six or eight runs in his second start last season. So no, I'm not. I'm not particularly concerned. Like Kyle Hendricks walked three batters in three innings. That's probably not going to happen again. He might not. He might not walk three batters in a game again for like twelve or thirteen starts. All right, Scott Max Freed. Let's talk about it because final line doesn't look that impressive at the Phillies. Five innings pitched, two earned, two walks, eight strikeouts. But, but, 18 swinging strikes on 93 pitches. He used his fastball a little bit less, went to the curveball and the slider more, and the slider averaged 86.8 miles per hour. Last year, that was 84 miles per hour. I know the final line doesn't look great, but... It was okay. I mean, it was... I am, I am intrigued here by Max Fried. I I'm pretty excited. Yeah, I mean, it's look, his strikeout rate fell quite a bit last year from 2019. And, and that's the reason the XFIP was over four and why I had some reservations about investing in him. It wasn't the only reason, but it was one of the reasons. Uh, th- these 18 swinging strikes, that was a career high for him. He's never had that many in a game before. So, yeah, it caught my attention, too. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's it's something to keep an eye on going forward. Obviously, Freed is, you know, it's not really changing your approach to him either way, but if he's even better than you thought you were getting, then that would be that would be good. Oh, Chris, you were Bundy off. Bundy is not Bundy is not making it through six. Boom. Were we talking about Bundy Call or Giolito before? Because I was right, about Giolito, sorry. Yeah. Giolito, yeah. I said you were off by one out because I think you said five innings or whatever, but yeah, Bundy actually did make it through six. Giolito, final line, five and a third, two hits, two earned, two walks, eight strikeouts against the Angels lineup. I watched the first inning of this game, and he struck out David Fletcher, 
Shohei Otani and Mike Trout all in a row uh, to open the game. And it's just, gosh, Giolito is, is awesome. How about Aaron Nola? He was going up against the Braves. Six and two-thirds, six hits, two earned, zero walks, six strikeouts. I love the zero walks. That's really the only thing that he usually gets in trouble with. Anything here, Chris? Aaron Nola? Yeah, there's a lot here. He's really good. <laughs> I, well, he only you had seven. You only should had, want him on your team. He only had seven whiffs on 84 pitches, um, uh, but he did allow a lot of hard contact, too. I noticed 92.7 mile per hour average exit velocity off of Nola. So maybe yeah, maybe a little bit lucky, but it was it was against still a, the Braves though. It was a great like, start. They they hit the ball really freaking hard. He's not going to face offenses that good every time out. I, I yeah, he's he's great. Clayton Kershaw at the Rockies, womp womp. Five and two thirds, ten hits, six runs. Five of those were earned. Only two strikeouts. What'd you see here, Scott? Well, his velocity was down a little, and I, I think the temperature was actually pretty good. Surprisingly, in Colorado. But uh, his his velocity was down to where it was in 2019, I think. We've seen some fluctuation over the past couple of years, and obviously he's been able to navigate it. So Coors Field start. You always get a pass for that. Madison Bumgarner against the Padres. He was at San Diego. Four innings, seven hits, six earned, three walks, six strikeouts. All right, that's kind of interesting. Fastball velocity was actually up two miles per hour from last season. Uh, Chris, any anything interesting from Mad Bum? Yeah, he wasn't able to sustain that fastball velocity the whole start. I think by the end, he was throwing a lot of 87, 88, 89. So, um, you know, I, I don't think we're we're going to see peak Bumgarner or, or anything like that. But it's nice to see the velocity was up and we'll we'll keep watching. And of course, I am all about the universal DH, but Bum almost hit a home run off of you, Darvish. So that was... Pretty interesting to watch. Speaking of Darvish going up against the Diamondbacks, probably thought this would have fared a little bit better too, but four and two-thirds, eight hits, four earned, one walk, six strikeouts, and I was watching this start closely. I have a lot of Darvish, and um, the line looks a lot worse than he actually pitched. I think Jace Tingler left him out there too long. He was trying to get him through five so that he can get the win, but um, 93 pitches to get through four and two-thirds. He allowed two homers in a final inning of work. Uh, only nine whiffs on 93 pitches. Anything on Darvish, Scott? No, I don't see any reason for concern there. I think your assessment seems right to me. He threw seven different pitches. <laughs> uh, and of course... Cutter, uh, four-seam, slider, knuckle, sinker, splitter, curveball. Just yeah. amazing. And his his cutter was still his bread and butter pitch, which you, yeah. you like to see, especially coming over you know, to a new team now. You wanted to see that Arsenal kind of remain what it's been over the past year and a half where he's you know obviously been the best that we've ever seen from Darvish. So I was I was interested to see his uh his Arsenal look the same as it was with the Cups. Jack Flaherty was bad. We mentioned that um also in that game opposite of Castillo, four and a third, six earned runs, only four strikeouts. Velo down a little bit for Flaherty, uh but that's because we assume because it was cold in Cincinnati. Brad Keller Oh my gosh. I hope you did not stream him because he went up against the Rangers. 1.1 innings pitched, nine nine hits, six earned runs. Scott, can we his fastball velocity was up? <laughs> yeah, it was up. Well, that wasn't the issue. I think the issue was just that uh, you know, he's Brad Keller, a pitch to contact pitcher, and this is what happens sometimes. He didn't throw a slider as much. So I'm guessing he just didn't have a great feel for it. And so there was there was nothing to take them off the the fastball and uh, 
that's what I'm thinking what happened to Brad Keller. He'll he'll have good starts too. Just today wasn't his day. 68% I mean, you can't, roster. You can't hope to slow down these Rangers and Royals offenses. <laughs> you, know? you can only hope to contain them. I mean, what happened Listen. in that game? 24 combined runs, 30 combined hits. It was just... Listen, the, the Royals are my number one sleeper team. I, I know I only finished them to finish, I only picked them to finish fourth in the AL Central, but th- they're my dark horse. They're my dark horse to, to shock everybody because, you know, they, they have a lot of, they have a pitching staff full of Brad Kellers who, you know, may not be studs, but can go deep into games and pitch pretty well most of the time. And then they have, Really good defense, really good bullpen. Carlos Santana reached base four times today. You know, Michael Taylor got three hits, a homer, made a great play in center field. Santana had two bad balls over. Santana had two batted balls over 109 miles an hour. There you go. Yep, I saw that too. More on that game in a little bit. If you are watching on the video side, don't go anywhere. If you are listening to the podcast, we are going to take a quick break. But when we return, we'll have the pitcher and hitter planners for week two coming up next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's dive into those week two pitcher and hitter planners presented by Line and Kugels. This is for anybody whose lineup is resetting this upcoming Monday. So if you play in a Roto League, that means more... More than likely, this is who we're talking about here, but there are probably some head-to-head leagues that are only playing this upcoming weekend series and then resetting on Monday. So, Scott, why don't you kick us off with some of your favorite two-start pitchers for Week 2? Okay. Some of my favorites, and uh, they're highly available for the most part. Yeah, I think they're all available in, in more than half of CBS Sports Leagues. Uh, my favorite is Carlos Rodon, who, of course, we've been hyping a lot here lately. At Seattle versus Kansas City, who we're still assuming will be a below average offense this year. Um, love those two matchups right away. Love what he did in spring training. More spin on the fastball, new curveball, better control. That's uh, I think it's I think he's an interesting play there. Trevor Rogers, another guy who made some noise in spring training. A lot of swing and miss potential with that fastball changeup pairing, and, and showed a better breaking ball this spring. Matchups aren't great, St. Louis and the Mets, but. I, I think with the strikeout potential in the two-start week, it's worth taking a shot on. Uh, Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley. Again, the matchups could be better, but there's big swing and miss potential with him. He showed similar velocity this spring that he did last season when he took a big step forward as a strikeout pitcher. 
So if you're looking to get an extra start in your lineup, you know, it may only be 10 innings between those two starts, maybe less than 10 innings. But if it is 10 innings, you know, it's possible. It's possible you get 15 to 20 strikeouts out of those 10 innings. Scott, I mean, Chris, rather, if you have uh, Brad Keller on your roster, would you be looking to, would you be all right dropping him for someone like Carlos Rodon or, or Trevor Rogers, who are both rostered in less than 55% of leagues right now? I mean, you should have had Trevor Rogers on your team ahead of Brad Keller going into the season. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, True. Brad Keller is like the replacement level pitcher in fantasy. Well, like, if you have him on your team, that's fine. If you drop him, also fine. <laughs> what would you guess his roster percentage is right now, Brad Keller? 71%. Very close. 68%. I think that number is probably too high, and Rodon and Trevor Rogers both have more upside. Obviously, Brad Keller is solid for a points league, but I think you could do better with some of those other starting pitchers, especially if you need a two-star pitcher for next week. Scott, how about some single-start sleeper pitchers that you have coming out in your column on Friday? Who are you interested there for week two? Uh, before I get into that, I do want to backtrack a second because this sure. is something we haven't brought up yet. But uh, I mentioned Drew Smiley as a two-star pitcher. I'm not sure he will be. Uh, and I, I, wanted to, I wanted to make sure I put that out there because the Nationals, you know, they, they had... It wasn't just one guy who tested positive for COVID. It's now several players. So it's, it's an actual outbreak now um and so I, I think last i saw they're still hoping they'll be able to resume their series with the mets on saturday but i mean just the way these played out last year when you had several players test positive on the same team it was usually like five to ten days that they had to shut down so i'm personally i'm not expecting the nationals and mets to get in any games this weekend and i, I think that nationals brave series at the start of next week is in jeopardy too so just wanted to mention that um, hitters. We're talking about hitters. No, some single no. start sleeper pitchers. Oh, single start pitchers. Okay. Um, Logan Webb. He's going against Colorado in San Francisco. Colorado out of Colorado is always going to be a great matchup. So good time to to run him out there. Dylan Cease goes against those Royals. <laughs> Freddie Peralta is. I think he's still scheduled to go against the Cubs. Now he was kind of a surprise entrant into today's game. He, he relieved Brandon Woodruff in that Brewers game and pitched two innings through over 50 pitches. I think I think it was just because they have enough off days that uh, they could afford to do that with him and him still take the fifth turn. It's going and against the Cubs. So Josh, it could be Lindblom, better. Josh Lindblom pitched, pitched in today's game as well. He would be the okay. other guy who okay. would make a fifth start. So uh, yeah. I don't think Freddie Peralta's lost his rotation spot or anything. It's it's against the Cubs could be a better matchup, but like the strikeout potential is enormous, and you know just because he could be really good, that's a reason to consider him a sleeper as well. I do still have Brad Keller since he's going at Cleveland, but obviously that's going to be a harder sell now. <laughs> uh, Tarek Skubal's also going against Cleveland. Chris, which one of those is your favorite? Logan Webb versus the Rockies in San Francisco. Dylan Cease versus the Royals at home. Freddie Peralta at the Cubs. Tarek Skubal at Cleveland. Which one do you like most? I guess I'll go with Webb. But like, if I had Cease or Peralta on my team and they were my worst pitchers, I wouldn't drop them for Webb. Yeah, I think so. that makes sense. Scott, let's go over to the hitter side. Who are some sleeper hitters that you're looking at for week two? All right, so CJ Crone's back at the top of the list. Three games at home. 
and three games at San Francisco against some not so great pitchers. Uh, Christian Walker. Really, I, I like all the Diamondbacks this week because they're the team that the Rockies are facing in Colorado. And then their other uh, series is against the Reds and like the back end of the Reds rotation. So Christian Walker, I like. Josh Rojas, I like. Justin Upton, I like his matchups this week. There's really there's one team playing seven games this week, and it's the Blue Jays at Texas for three against the Angels for four. So they're the team with the best hitting matchups. But, uh, you know, not a lot of Blue Jays you can recommend as a sleeper. Rowdy Telez might be one because six of the seven pitchers on the schedule are right-handers. So presuming he starts against all the right-handers, it might be a time to use him. Like the Reds matchups this week, so uh, you know we'll see if Senzel's healthy, but maybe him, maybe Joey Votto, maybe Jonathan India, who got two hits in his uh, major league debut today. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck, they're they're facing the Orioles for another three games. The Red Sox are so he could do some damage. Those are the biggest ones. I like it, especially All you right. know you mentioned the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. I think that makes a lot of sense. Crone, Christian Walker. And again, Josh Rojas are a few names that we're looking at there. Again, that is the week two pitching and hitter hitter planner presented by Line and Kugels. And speaking of which, we have a long weekend of baseball ahead of us. Why not enjoy the games with an ice cold beverage? I know I will with Line and Kugels Lemon Haze IPA. I actually got to try one of these last night. And it was awesome. It really was the perfect blend of a hoppy IPA with that lemonade zest that you're used to from Lining Kugels. The Lemon Haze IPA isn't all they offer either. If you haven't tried it yet, you have to try their famous summer shandy, which literally tastes like summer in a bottle or a can depending on which one you get. The Shandy is a crisp beer with refreshing lemonade flavor. They also have a Session Hellas, which has all the flavor of a crisp German-style beer, but it's only 99 calories. True story, I sent my dad a picture of the Hellas the other day, and now I have to share it with him. So that one's on me. Yeah, love the 99-calorie beer. That's become a big focus of mine because I'm not going to stop drinking beer, but I do want to lose weight, so... Love that. That's the perfect way to do it. Just head on over to liney.com. That's L-E-I-N-I-E.com for more information about all the delicious beers from Line and Kugels and where to find them. We teased it a little bit earlier, spoke about Michael Taylor a little bit. Slugfest in Kansas City, just wild. 24 combined runs. I mentioned 30 combined hits. And Joey Gallo, very interested here. Did not strike out a single time in six at-bats. I guess it helps when you're facing Brad Keller, of course. Went two for three with three walks, two RBI, and a stolen base. Nate Lowe, my man. Two for six with a bases-clearing double. He wound up with four RBI. Also had three strikeouts. Uh, he is only 20% rostered in CBS leagues. I don't think he's like a priority, but if you play in a deeper league with corner infield and... Uh, you need someone. I do think Nate Lowe is an interesting player. Whitmerry Field just doing what he always does. Three for five, home run, two RBI, two runs scored. Jorge Soler, a two by four. Two hits, two walks, two runs, two RBI, and one mammoth home run. Michael Taylor, this is the one I really wanted to hit on. Three hits with a home run. Scott, I know you were touting him in the offseason. He changed up his approach. I believe he has a new kind of batting stance that he's messing with, some, some new mechanics. Again, this is the Michael A. Taylor that used to be on the Washington Nationals. The home run that he hit opposite field on April 1st in Kauffman Stadium. That's that's no cheapy. That's that's a legit mm-hmm. home run. So 
only 5% mm-hmm. rostered. If you are in a deeper league that has five outfielders, Scott, how much fab would you be willing to put on Michael Taylor? Well, I already got him, so <laughs> I don't need well, that to means worry no one about else that, can have him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, in a five outfielder league, look, if you're talking 12 teams, you, you don't need to put that much on him. Fewer than $5. If you're talking a 15-teamer, you might have to go... You'd have to go higher than that, obviously. I, I want him for... Heading into this week, I want him for 27 out of $1,000 in Tau Wars. But I'd, I'd go... You'd have to go higher than that for him now, probably. So, you know, you, you don't want to blow your whole budget on an outfielder who's off to a hot start because there are going to be a lot of those over the course of the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... I, he he has he has been a near twenty twenty player in the past. Uh, injuries and inconsistencies have really kept him from having the full time role that he has right now. But if if the, that change is legitimate, uh, you know, and and the it was made with the idea of him making more contact that he doesn't have to sell out so hard for power to hit for power because he's so strong and athletic. Uh, reducing the leg kick, just a quieter swing. And, and he didn't strike out much. He had an awesome spring training and he didn't strike out that much. So if that's legit, then maybe maybe he finally makes good on potential that's just kind of laid dormant for uh, over five years since it's been uh, he's been part of the mix. Michael Taylor, you mentioned he has approached 2020 before. Back in 2017, 19 home runs and 17 steals in just 118 games with the Nationals. And back in 2015, quite a while ago, but 14 home runs and 16 steals in 138 games. Again, Michael A. Taylor with the Royals. I hope nobody in my leagues is watching this, but I have a 15-team league, Roto League, with five outfielders where Fab runs on Thursday night, and I have a 6% bid on him, so... I'm hoping that's enough to win Michael Taylor. Kyle Isbell, we spoke about him on yesterday's podcast, mentioned that he was making his Major League debut and would be in the lineup for the Royals. That was because Adalberto Mondesi got hurt and they made some shifts and Whit Merrifield went to second, Nicky Lopez at short. Kyle Isbell was in right field and he went three for five with three singles and two RBI. Chris, any interest in deeper leagues? Kyle Isbell. Yeah, you know, we talked about him yesterday, and I think we might have overlooked him a little bit. He is a little bit more of a legit prospect than, um, you know, I think we gave him credit for. Certainly, I gave him credit for. You know, I did some reading afterwards, and, you know, I, I believe he's baseball prospectus's number six prospect for the Royals. So, you know, there, there's something there. And, and in the minors, you know, 14 homers, 35 steals, 284 average. Like, there's a an interesting fantasy profile there. And, you know, who knows? Maybe he hits well enough that that he can move over to second base when Mondesi gets back. I don't know if we're necessarily rooting for that because we'd rather see Bobby Witt get it, but (laughs) it's possible. Let's take a look at some other hitter performances from opening day and specifically some guys that might be available on your waiver wire. Miguel Cabrera, we mentioned, went one for four with a two-run homer off of Shane Bieber. Just 29% rostered. Scott, your interest level in Miggy? I, I don't know, man. Uh, DH only. I, I, he it's going to be really he hard getting base. him in the lineup. He played first base, so I think he can gain first base eligibility pretty soon. Yeah, yeah but he's not going to play first base regularly, right? Isn't it going to be Jamer Candelario with uh, I think Isak Paredes getting most of the time at third? I was watching that game, and it did sound like they think he's going to play first base pretty regularly. Yeah, I think so. All right. 
Well, I mean, he's going to be a low end first base option at yeah. best. So we're we're talking deeper leagues. Like twenty nine percent rostered might might be pushing it already. Yeah, that makes sense. How about this one? You want to go deep? Roberto Perez, he's 6% rostered. You went one for two with a two-run home run off of Gregory Soto, who actually picked up the save for the Tigers on opening day. Roberto Perez also added two walks. And I was just kidding. I'm not overly excited about him. But if you punted catcher, if you play in two catcher leagues, he's probably going to play every day for the Cleveland Indians or you know close to every day for them. And a couple of years ago, he hit 23 home runs. So Roberto Perez does have a little bit of pop probably should be rostered in more than 6% of leagues. Adam Frazier hit leadoff for the Pittsburgh Pirates on opening day against Kyle Hendricks. Went two for four with a double, two RBI, two walks, a run scored, and a stolen base. He's only 16% rostered. Chris, any interest in Adam Frazier? Uh, There are a few guys uh, in similar spots who I think are more interesting. I think Ryan Altapia is more interesting. He might be more rostered than Frazier, but he was also leading off for the Rockies. Um, so I, I think, I think Frazier's fine in a 15 team league, but you know, he, I'm not super, uh, enthusiastic about adding him. Yeah. Ryan Altapia oh. did lead off for the Rockies and he is 50% rostered as he should okay, be. He definitely should be rostered in more leagues than Adam Frazier. So. Yeah, he should be rostered in all, in all categories leagues, I think. Yeah, turns out Isak Paredes didn't even make the Tigers roster. I thought I thought they sent Renato Nunez down to have a spot for Paredes, but I guess not. Uh, so yeah, yeah it, it, would, it would seem like Miguel Cabrera would have to play first base. Yeah, and I, look, I don't think Miguel Cabrera is like terribly interesting or anything, but I brought this up the other day. He was on pace for 26 home runs and 92 RBI last year, so there might be something left in the tank for Miguel Cabrera. Uh, Travis Shaw, is there anything left in the tank there? He was batting fifth for the Brewers on opening day. He went two for four with a double, three RBIs, uh, and one walk. The walk came against Kent Maeda. I mentioned it was a great at bat. It was like 10 or 12 pitch at bat. He's only 3% rostered, so I don't He didn't have a good spring, but his old plate discipline was back. Because yeah. you remember when he fell off, it was he was like striking out all the time. Mm-hmm. He struck out 11 times in 50 plate appearances this spring, so I would take that as an encouraging sign. Maybe there's something just, in uh, Miller Park. <laughs> I mean, he, like that he's he's a left-handed hitter, and Miller Park's one of the best parks in baseball for left-handed power. Um, you know, he got all messed up in 2019. He was it was something like 40 walks to three strikeouts or something uh, when you included spring training. It was just like horrendously awful. You mean the other way around? 40 strikeouts, three walks. 40 strikeouts, three walks. Yeah, 40 walks. Three Strikeouts would be pretty. Awesome. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, he's batting fifth. Though. He's probably going to play every single day, right? I don't, I don't know who the. Yeah, I mean, he might would not push him off because Arias is playing short. I think if they if they're facing a lefty, they can put Arias at third and and Arcia at short if they wanted to. Again, the name Travis Shaw, 3% roster in CBS. How about this Chris Owings? I don't know if he's going to play every day either. He obviously had an awesome game on opening day, but it was against a lefty. And yeah. I'm wondering if Owings is only going to play against lefties. He went three for three with a triple, two singles, three runs scored, two steals, an RBI, and a walk. Um, he is 0% rostered on CBS, Chris Owings. He can run a little bit. It's just, is he going to play more than just against lefties, Scott? I, don't, I really don't know. I doubt it. Okay. I, d- I mean, I suppose if he gets hot enough, then 
you know, they could start sitting Ryan McMahon against some righties, but that's that's who he started in place of today. Yeah, uh, Sam Hilliard was also out of the lineup because they were going against Clayton Kershaw, so that made sense. Yeah, I, I, we I, know who Chris Owings is, and it's not anything to get excited about. I just, I love the Rockies. <laughs> I love how they seemingly make decisions solely to make fantasy players mad about like players who we shouldn't be getting mad about. You well, know, like I like Garrett Hampson and Ryan McMahon fine, but like we get so upset when Garrett Hampson's batting eighth and it's just like how the Rockies don't use him all that much for a pretty good reason. I think I'm, I'm a little tired of the obsession over where players bat in the lineup. Cause it changes all the time. And like, yeah, where they bat in the lineup is important, but it's not magical. It doesn't make or break a player. <laughs> you still have to be good and you still have yeah. to hit there all the time. You know, like if, if, if you bat lead off for a week, you go, you know, for 25 and then you bat eight the rest of the season. It doesn't really matter. And I generally agree with you, Scott, but there are some players that I did admittedly boost up this draft season because I knew that they were going to stay in that spot, right? So like Eric well, that, Hosmer... that's fair to, to elevate them, but I, right. I see sometimes people make the case for or against a player and their whole argument is he's batting first or he's batting eighth. And it's like... Like if, if, Garrett, Hampson hit, <laughs> if Garrett Hampson can you know, hit the way fantasy players have been hoping for for like three years now, he's not going to hit eight the whole season. Right. You know, he'll eventually move up. Something will happen. There's no, no lineup stays static forever. It's so if you think a guy is good and he's batting eighth, you should just draft him because eventually he'll move up. Yeah. You draft the skills, right? So I think that makes sense. I mean, it would make sense for any team not named the Rockies, right? So hopefully if Garrett Hampson plays well, they do move him up in the lineup. But theoretically, your logic makes sense, Chris. I mentioned Eric Hosmer. I liked him a lot this year because he's batting cleanup for one of the best lineups in baseball. Him and Will Myers went back-to-back on opening day, so that was nice to see. Paul Goldschmidt had a nice game as well. Four for five with two doubles and three runs scored. He had a nice little bounce back season, so be watching Paul Goldschmidt early on in the year. Uh, Nolan Arenado had multiple hits. I also saw he had hit two strikeouts as well. Nick Castellanos had a big game. Mentioned that. Jesse Winker, just the last one I wanted to highlight. He had two hits, both of them, over 110 miles per hour off the bat. So, Jesse Winker, uh, just stay healthy, man. Just a lot like Nixon Zell. It's, I think there's some upside Bad there. Lead off too. In that ballpark, he's batting leadoff. Just, yeah, Scott. I mean, it matters. Scott, he's batting leadoff. I don't know if you heard. Uh-huh. But he's batting. He's batting leadoff. Yeah, that's like <laughs> that's why he's going to be so much more valuable. Clint Frazier had ninth today. I don't know if you guys saw that. Well, I mean, if we're being honest, Scott, the ninth hitter for the Yankees is better than like any other leadoff hitter in baseball. So it's the second leadoff hitter. Technically, uh, let's just wrap up with some bullpen stuff here. Things that we noticed on. Opening day, Gregory Soto, I mentioned he came in with a three-zip lead for the Tigers. He did allow a two-run home run, but he picked up the save for the Tigers. Uh, of course, he's a lefty, but it seems like he is the guy, at least for now, in the I mean, it, Tigers it bullpen. It seemed like it. I don't know if he jeopardized that. Brian Garcia was warming up when he was struggling, when Soto was struggling to get through the inning, but mm-hmm. he did eventually pull it out. And it's worth noting... There was only one lefty do-up when Soto came in. It was Josh Naylor. So it, it didn't seem like handedness was factoring into that decision. Yeah, and he has these, I don't know what you call them, but they're like extensions, these red extensions that are coming out of his hat. This looks awesome. He's 
just looks like a predator on the mound. It was, it was really cool to watch. <laughs> um, Jordan Romano, he faced the bottom of the Yankees lineup. Tell me if I'm overthinking this because I, I might you be. are. Um, okay. You're well, overthinking it. Jordan Romano faced the bottom of the These Yankees are 23 lineup pitches. in a tie game, and he walked two, and he had two strikeouts. And then after they took the lead, a gentleman named Julian Merriweather, who was 1% rostered on CBS, came in, struck out the side, picked up the save, he threw three different pitches, and he averaged 96.9 miles per hour on his fastball. I'm just saying, Merriweather, one game, one inning each, he looked better than Jordan Romano. That's all I'm saying. I mean, uh, Romano got two strikeouts in his inning. Like, uh, if he had thrown 11 pitches in the ninth, there, you know, maybe he comes back out and gets, you know, the the final inning. But he threw 23. I, I think in that situation, him throwing the ninth inning is probably more relevant. I will be putting in some bids on Merriweather in deeper leagues this, this weekend. It just, it feels like one of those where everyone's kind of like overlooking it. Oh, Romano's the guy, but... Just in case. I, he looked really I good. I kind of feel like Merriweather's the backup guy over Rafael Delis now. That I would say for but sure. I, but but I, would not, uh, I would not say Romano's job is in jeopardy. You know, if he goes out and blows a save their next game, maybe it is, but not right yeah. now. For the Twins, Taylor Rogers pitched in the seventh, Hansel Robles in the eighth, and Alex Colome came in in the ninth and promptly blew a three-run lead, which was very frustrating because... For years, I have called Alex Colomay a bust, and then this was the year I finally invested. And uh, it was just a weird appearance. Max Kepler dropped this line drive. It was a hard hit. I mean, Yelich just hit a rocket right at him, but he dropped it. And then uh, Colomay committed a throwing error himself, so he didn't help himself, obviously. But it seems like, for now, Colomay's the guy, but definitely a short leash with the Minnesota Twins. Freddie Peralta talked about him. He pitched in the fifth and sixth inning. He retired all six batters that he faced. Uh, no, that's not true. He finished all, retired all six batters via the strikeout. And um, there was some interesting stuff going on with his usage. His fastball velocity was up like two miles per hour. He was throwing more curveballs mm-hmm. than usual. So Freddie Peralta is still super interesting. Don't worry about him pitching in relief. I would still hold on to him. Scott, your boy Will yep. Smith was used in the ninth inning in a tie game. It was a perfect inning for him. He struck out the side. Yeah, he's the closer. I think uh, him being used in the ninth inning with uh, Chris Martin used in the eighth. Yeah, and I think it was the one, two, three in the lineup he was facing too, Will Smith. So, yeah, I still think he's the closer. Let's wrap here on a high note, Scott. Someone that you and I were drafting everywhere, Daniel Bard, came in three-run lead against the Los Angeles Dodgers the presumed closer for the Rockies. He allowed one hit and one walk, but he struck out two and he got the save and the velocity was actually up for Daniel Bard. He averaged 98 and a half miles per hour on his fastball. So he hit 99.9, I think. <laughs> oh, oh, I, there, there is that. You got to get a little bit more out there. There is one additional closer situation that I think is worth addressing. And that's what happened in the Royals game. Where uh, where Garrett, Greg Holland entered in the eighth, got one out, struggled in the ninth. Wade Davis came in, struck out the only two batters he faced, and did so with velocity that was the highest it's been. You know, we're talking about a, a sample of a few pitches, but the average fastball velocity for him in this game was the highest it's been since 2018, when he had 43 saves. It was his last year as a good closer. So, 
<laughs> Mike Matheny kept mixing it up at the end of games last year before finally settling on Trevor Rosenthal. I, I think we might be in for more of that uh, based on the way this one played out. The ghost of Wade Davis's past. But you know what? We would have said the same thing about Trevor Rosenthal last year and look what the Royals did with him. So I'm not going to rule out the possibility. I still think Greg Holland's the guy for the Royals, but definitely worth watching. Uh, again, Wade Davis coming in there to close out that game. Uh, and I just remembered the Tampa Bay Rays situation. I did want to highlight this as well. Uh, Peter Fairbanks pitched in the eighth and Diego Castillo mm-hmm. pitched in the ninth. He struck out two and picked up the save for the Tampa Bay Rays. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again on Monday. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.